My healing is my responsibility. There's no one else's responsibility to make sure that we are healed. That is your responsibility alone, period. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with entrepreneur and author, Courage Molina. She says that life can get uncomfortable. And when it does, there's some power principles that will pull you through. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. If you are new to the Redefining Wealth podcast, then a big welcome to you. So excited to have you here. And a big shout out to my OG listeners and my purpose chasers from all over the world. Thank you for coming back week after week as we really seek to unpack the other parts of building wealth that no one really talks about. See, if you're new here, here's what you need to know. We believe that wealth is all about well-being. Not necessarily about money and material possessions, the way folks like to present it as such. And so to really unpack that, I have these six pillars of wealth that I really, really think you should go back to the original episodes and listen to. And I'm actually thinking this summer, I'll just repeat those. So get ready, guys, so that everyone can be brought up to speed because we are at almost 800,000 downloads and we have grown so much, I mean, by leaps and bounds over just the last several months. And I want to make sure that we're all building on top of the same foundation. So look out for those this summer. We'll be doing some rewinds, but I'm really excited to jump into this week's episode with my girl, Courage. Uh, Courage, I'll read to you her official bio in a sec, but I have to tell you that Courage is the co-coach of my 12-month mastermind called Mastery and Momentum. So for those of you who have been around for a while, you know that during the Give God Something to Bless episode, I kind of blurted out then one of the things that I wanted to give God to bless was this idea I had for a community. And this is a community of women entrepreneurs, executives, and other women leaders who know what they want, but sometimes they need the roadmap and radical accountability to get there. So if you're a woman who is currently looking for access to a laser-focused community of women who will keep you accountable to your greatest goals and support you in building wealth without allowing you to compromise what you know I believe is most important well-being, then this could be for you. Because I created what I always wanted, a safe space for purpose-driven women to become their best selves physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and financially while still building a business or career they love. And many of you have heard me say this from the stage or in interviews, but I have no desire to be a public success while feeling like a private failure, right? And the truth is, there's so many women out there who just like me, you're go-getters, And you are so great at making things happen and people come to you for everything. And you are the one, you are the fixer, you are the make it happen person. But the truth is you don't really have a safe space where you can take the cape off and share your struggles and get the support that you need, right? You may not necessarily have the community that knows how to support you and help you get to the next level. You may not feel okay with saying, hey, I'm not as satisfied as you think I should be because I have the car or the house or the degree or the titles. So you need some place where you can be truly celebrated for your success without having to dim your light or dummy things down. But you could also be supported during the times that you're struggling. And that's what we've created I blurted it out in that episode. I think back in October and November, we launched in December. The first group has been absolutely amazing. These women have rallied together and supported each other. Like I can't even put into words. So what I'm going to do is in a few weeks, you'll hear some of their words. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But the doors are open. And if you want to find out more, go to masteryandmomentum.com. That's masteryandmomentum.com to apply. You have to jump on a group interest call with me so I can get to know you a bit more because I'm really curating the community and I'm looking for women who are the right fit for one another. And so I have to see and hear and talk to each of you before we can extend the invitation. But 
I'm super excited about running the second cycle. Again, it's 12 months. It's incredible. Check out masterymomentum.com. And why I'm so excited today is because Courage Molina has been my, my secret weapon in that community. She is phenomenal. She is my co-coach and she is so anointed in so many different ways. And I can't wait for you to hear her story and just understand more about who she is and what she brings to the table. So. Courage is known as the Chief Courage Crusader, and she passionately goes around sharing her message of confidence and courage through faith in God. She has declared war on depression, doubt, fear, divorce, and complacency, all things that she has been on the brink of or dealt with herself. And in her book, Power Principles for Courageous Living, How I Overcame Depression and Took Back My Life, she shares her testimony along with the principles that completely transformed her way of thinking and her life. She is a coach in her own right, and she even has her own mastermind, the Courage Mastermind Program in Courage University. But I am so honored that I get to call her my co-coach in Mastery and Momentum. Without further ado, here's Courage Molina. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth Podcast, Courage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to finally like make you not so mysterious. <laughs> I've had people say, I've heard you talk about the mastermind, but like just in doses, I never really see anything. So they think we're like some secret society courage. So I thought <laughs> that the way I would really bring it to life was to introduce everyone to my co-coach. Uh, you are absolutely phenomenal. And you have been such a blessing in this community. And I know all 14 women we have so far will definitely agree. You are like the secret weapon. You're a little ninja. You don't even look like <laughs> you know, you bring all this power, but you've been such a blessing. So thank you for being here. And thank you for agreeing to co-coach with me. It's definitely been an honor. I used to hear people say, like, I'm humbled to be here when I was younger. And I was like, that is so dumb. Why aren't you saying you're proud to be there? You know, but this is one of those situations where I really get it. I'm humbled to be a part of it because it has such an impact on these amazing women who are going to go out and have great impact on more people. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So now I finally get it like, OK, no, I am humbled. This is a good word. I mean, I'm humbled. <laughs> Be real. I mean, sometimes, you know, I post in our community and I'm just like, wow, I don't I don't even get it sometimes. Like, how did I get here where I have the opportunity to pour into these women, but watch the way they support each other and the way they just literally bought into this idea of sisterhood and community and support and accountability and the way they just from like the second week, it was like, have they known each other? Are they tricking me? Yeah. I remember there was a day that I didn't log in for something. And when I finally did, I missed like 91 posts. And I thought, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, how did I miss 91? They were just in there talking and chatting and helping each other out. Like, wow, y'all are really people in this community. Yeah. So it is, it is, um, I think it's rare. I don't think that you see that a lot. So. You're right. I, I, I agree. I think it's rare as well, but I'm really honored that I get to do this work and that I get to do it alongside someone who's so amazing. So let's take people back, though, to when we met just a couple years ago um, at the Great Girlfriends Conference in New <laughs> Jersey. Yes. Yes, it was in New Jersey. So Great Girlfriends is an amazing podcast. Shout out to Sybil and Brandis for the amazing work they do with Great Girlfriends podcast. And they invited me to be a speaker. And I met Courage after I spoke. What happened, Courage? Did I make you did I make you come over so I could sign your book? Oh, my gosh. So so she's on this finance panel, you know, and I don't even really know what the topic was, but it's, it's all these people who are in money. But every time you opened your mouth, you were not really talking about money. You were mostly talking about faith. And there was such an anointing. And um, I felt led <laughs> to come and, and give you a word. But I was so uncomfortable because I, I hadn't really said yes to my calling at that time. I kind of thought I was going someplace else. And so I was like, no, God, I'm not. I don't know this lady. I'm not talking to her. <laughs> like, no, it's just, it's just to know whatever my punishment is, I'm going to take it because I'm not 
going to be that person. But I bought your book and you saw me with the book and I still had no intentions of coming to talk. And you like waved me over. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, why is she waving me over here? Because now I have to tell her what God said. And I don't want to be involved in this. Like I didn't want to do it, you know, and it wasn't anything bad. It was just saying, you know, that there was a word in you, that God was getting ready to do something different, that these numbers, that was cute and wonderful, but that there was a ministry in you. And that's very uncomfortable to say to a person, you literally are just like on your first meeting. At least it was uncomfortable for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I waved you over and you came reluctantly because I didn't sell you the book. Someone, you know, at my table did. So I was like, yeah, don't you want a book signed by the author? Like, why wouldn't you take a signed copy? And then you start talking. And when you started talking, I just teared up because you guys, you have to understand this was the summer of 2017. So redefining wealth, I had literally launched the new website maybe two days before that event. And it was a new thing for me completely. Like I had not really shared much about redefining wealth or the six pillars or any of that because I was still in that place of trying to, you know, accept that this was the direction. (laughs) Like this is the direction my life was going in. And I kept feeling the call and the pull and the tug, but I was still trying to fight just a little, you know, and still kind of uncomfortable getting out the box. And when you said that to me, I just teared up because I knew it was confirmation. I knew it was confirmation. Your your attitude, I don't remember the exact words, but your attitude was definitely like, yeah, the numbers are cute. <laughs> but I'm trying to use you to do something else. And I knew it. And that was just complete confirmation. And then you fast forward a couple years later now, and I'm like praying about mastery momentum. I'm like, I know I want to do this mastermind group. I have ladies who I've already done one-on-one coaching with who are asking me like, what comes next? What do I do? Like I'm taking the, the programs and I go to the conferences and the seminars. But then when I leave, I'm supposed to hold myself accountable. That's not working. Like I don't have community around me. I don't have that level of support where people get me. And I was like, God, I want to do it. But I have so much going on already. Like the thought of trying to manage all of that is a bit daunting. And literally I prayed about it and I saw two faces that kept coming to me um, a couple times and courage was one of them. And I reached out and she said, yes. And here we are. So um, really, really grateful again for that moment where you wanted to be disobedient. Mm, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to be disobedient. Um, But because of your obedience, I feel like that is exactly why we have the community that we have. And Um, We're able to co-labor in this and create, I think I can just say magic, create the magic that's being created. And I think it had to come from my obedience for redefining wealth, your obedience to be there. It was a whole bunch of obedience going on. (laughs) So I love so much what you do and what you add to the community, especially the spiritual, you know, piece. You go in on us and I absolutely love it. But it it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. And so just in the last month and a half or so, I got power principles, courageous living, how I overcame depression and took back my life. Now, first of all, courage, this book, you want to talk about laughing out loud. <laughs> I don't know if it's because we're similar in age. So I understand every reference <laughs> that you make, even to just like, you know, things that were going on in that time, even though I was in LA and you were where in North Carolina. No, I was in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Shout out to the Myrna, 386. (laughs) Such a small town. (laughs) Nobody else listening even knows what you're talking about. Okay, you were in Florida. Okay, so, so much from your childhood just, you know, really resonated with me. But I want to start here. Um, When you say, my teachers were shocked by the little bun in my underage oven. I think it came as a shock, not only because I was so young, but partly because I wasn't, quote unquote, that type of girl. I wasn't a wild child dressing provocatively, getting into trouble with boys on campus. I wasn't an oversexed teenage vixen. I wasn't even a party girl. By all accounts, I didn't fit the profile of a girl who would end up pregnant in high school. So (laughs) who you are today coming from being pregnant at 15 Can you just share with us a bit of the journey that has led you to where you are now with Courageous Living? 
What's crazy is that, you know, you can see the journey when you look back, but it was always there, like even if you didn't feel it. So, you know, I got into some trouble as a kid because I had the courage to say what I felt like needed to be said, or I had the courage to throw the first punch or whatever. But that courage also kind of carried me when I found out I was pregnant because it was like, okay, now that it's out, because I did everything to keep it from coming out. I was like, as long as my mama don't find out, I'm fine. But once it was out, it was like, there wasn't this moment where I thought, okay, well now I'm not going to be who I've been called to be, or now I'm not going to graduate from high school or go to college. I was so naive with my, with my courage. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't dawn on me like, Hey, do you realize that people get pregnant and they don't finish school on time? I was just like, okay, that's cute for them, but that's not me. I, as long as I do this work. And I kind of had that attitude for most of my life. Um, I was pregnant again before I graduated from high school. I was pregnant a third time before I even turned 21. My husband, we were together when I was in high school. And again, it was just this idea that we could make it work, that we would stay together. Even through some of the craziest things that we went through, it was like, yes, we were going to stay together. But, you know, life happens. And sometimes when life happens to you, it kind of changes how you see yourself it then starts to impact what you believe to be true. You're no longer naive. You realize now that just because you work hard doesn't mean things are going to work out or just because you believe something doesn't make it true. That's what the world teaches you when you start to go through difficult things and you kind of carry those things with you. And so I began to carry all of the bad stuff with me, anything that went wrong in the relationship, anytime there was a problem with my husband and I, I own that, that somehow changed the value that I had as a person, as a human. Um, and then my, my cousin got really sick in 2011 and I call him my cousin, right? Because he is, he's my cousin, but he's really like my brother. My, our moms lived in the same home together when we were coming up. So we grew up together. We never lived more than a block away for most of our life. And so we were always very close, only two years apart and when he was diagnosed with cancer in 2011, all of this fairy tale of like my marriage being great or things working out, it just wasn't that, you know, life hit us. We had difficulties as young parents, as a young married couple, we fought all the time and everything that we said to one another, it's like, they're just like the most vile things you can imagine saying to somebody that you love. And I'm not sure how he dealt with it, but for me, I carried everything with me. It never left me. So every insult, every incident, I carried that with me. And so by the time my cousin was diagnosed with cancer, I was already like so broken. I wasn't the girl that I was when I found out I was pregnant. I wasn't the same strong girl who believed that if I worked hard, things would work out. I had no control in the situation. And by that time, we lived in Charlotte and my cousin lived in Florida. And so I couldn't get home as often as I'd like, but we still talked as much as we could until he couldn't use the phone anymore. And by that time, I was at the bottom of like this depression. I was at the bottom of it. So depression really comes in like cycles, you know, but I was at the bottom of my depression. I was starting to have um, like doubts about my value in my own life. And um, I prayed for my cousin and we prayed for him and we fasted, but we, I could see that it wasn't working. I could see that, you know, it wasn't going to go the way that we thought. And I just, I could not get a grip on it. I could not believe that God was going to do me like this. I'm like, I've never really, you know, prayed and begged for anything. After a while, you stop praying and you just start begging and he lost more and more weight. And then hospice came in. He was only 34. I was like, this cannot be happening. This is bladder cancer. This does not happen. Um, he was a husband and father of four small girls, you know, and I thought there are so many crappy people in this world. And I'm just being honest because I didn't I'm not, you know, I wasn't always who I am, but I thought there are so many crappy people that shouldn't be allowed to take another breath. 
But this guy, you know, my brother, this husband, this father, this man of God, you're going to take him out. I was, I could not, I couldn't come. I just, I couldn't come out from up under that, that, that messed up my faith. I gave up on my marriage. I moved out of my home, left my husband, left my children. And, um, I stayed in, I stayed with a friend at a friend's house. Like I rented a room from her. And one day I got a phone call. Uh, it looked like it was my aunt. It said, um, Aunt T. Hazel won it. So I thought it was her. I didn't take it because I was just not in the mood. But I, she left a voicemail and I listened to the voicemail and it was actually Toucan calling. And he didn't even sound like himself. And he was saying that his mom had told him, you know, what was going on with Mike and I, which that's how family is. Like everybody knows what's going on with everybody. And so I wasn't surprised that he knew, but I was surprised that he was calling. And he said, I want you to know that I'm praying for y'all. And that made me so mad. I was so mad at him. I called up my auntie. I was like, let me talk to him. I'm going to cuss him out leaving this voicemail. And it made me so mad because I thought, you are fighting for your life. Who gives a damn about this marriage? Like, people get divorced every day. We, like, we will live. You should be using your prayers for you, you know, not for us. And uh, he passed in 2012. And that was... I never really lost anybody before then that changed my my day-to-day living. So like my grandparents and things, we're a relatively young family and that most of us were teen parents, you know? So um, by that time, I hadn't really lost really anybody. Um, older people, my grandparents and things like that. And that's super sad, but they were old when they died. So it was like, okay, we knew they weren't going to live forever. Um, and it was also quick for some of them, but I hadn't lost anybody that changed my life where it was like my life now, the way my life is right now, it will never be the same as a result of this loss. So I couldn't see getting past it. I couldn't see that the sun would shine. And so I just wanted to die. You know, I begged for death. I would go to sleep like begging, please, please. I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Even though I had kids and a husband, you know, but the mind that prays for death to leave the loved one behind is one that is in serious turmoil. Like you can't even begin to understand it unless you have, you know, been there. Cause it makes no sense to a healthy mind. It makes no sense to a healthy heart. Somebody who's healthy emotionally, like it makes no sense that you would want to die, but that was it. But I didn't die. I lived every day. It was like every day I was waking up. I was disappointed every day I woke up in a world that no longer had Toucan. It felt like he was so far from me. It was just like the worst. But um, people want you to get back to being yourself. You know, they don't want you to be depressed. They don't want you to, um, to still be sad every day. They don't want you crying every day. People want you to get better. And so you pretend to get better. And so that's how it started, really. This courageous living started with me pretending to get better pretending like I was okay, but I wasn't. And this lady invited me to this church, Elevation. Yeah. Um, shout out to Elevation Church, Matthew's Campus. Love y'all. And it was a weird church in comparison to where I'm from. You know, I'm from a small town, went to a black church, gospel music, uh, Baptist style preaching, or sometimes visit like Pentecost, but it was not like that at Elevation. It was so bananas. People are standing outside in the parking lot, like smiling, happy. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Oh, they are they smiling? Another out because no. that's what happens after church sometimes. They are smiling, honey, and happy. They want to hug you. They want to. Oh, this is your first time here. Oh my gosh, let us walk you up. I'm like, man, these folks. They crazy. <laughs> like these folks are so bananas. Get into this church, little white man sitting on stage, short dude. And he's talking about the expectation gap. And during that sermon, he explains that things happen. You know, horrible things happen. You you bury a loved one, the divorce happens, you lose your job, you lose the house. But we have to operate from a place that we know that God is good. And that was the first time that I considered that God could be good 
and I could be disappointed. That was like a brand new thing for me. And so I started to really read my Bible. I read my Bible like every day. I was trying to get a PhD in Jesus. I read it so much because I thought, okay, well, if God can be good and I can be disappointed, what else is there in here? What else can I glean from this book of wisdom to really have an actual impact on my life? And so I did. I started reading two and a half hours a day, giving God 10% of my day. And um, that's really where the courageous living, I I don't want to call it a brand, but that's really where the courageous lifestyle started from there. Because my time in the Bible gave me the courage to fight against the depression. It gave me the courage to, you know, fight for my marriage, to really think about who I was and what God was calling me to do. What was the purpose of life? Why was I still here and other people weren't? You know, that's really where it started. That's a long answer, I know. It's okay. So it actually takes us through like the first third of your book <laughs> because you <laughs> um, so much that I just, obviously, I just didn't know you that intimately. So I had no idea that you had been through so much because by the time that I met you and even in the last few years that I've been watching you, I think what I've been seeing, you know, at play are the power principles. I've been seeing you kind of walk this side of it, right? And that's what I think is so beautiful that even those who are called to pour into other people, we all have a story. Like it hasn't always been this way. Like we all come from something, which is what makes you so impactful because you have the compassion um, to go along with it. You've been through so many things. And so one of the things I wanted to do was really just hit the power principles because they're so good. Um, let's just go through them and, you know, you can share whatever stories or whatever you would like to help us understand how you arrived there, um, or what we should be working on in our own lives, especially those of us who are going through that season where, you know, we understand the magnitude of God, but we also, um, are trying to, you know, accept that we're mad and we're disappointed and we're frustrated. And I think, uh, Monique Coleman I think Monique Coleman, who was on the show, called it like a divine disappointment. But being able to live in that space and not beat ourselves up because of it. Like, I think that's where some of it comes from is you feel like I shouldn't feel this way. Right. You know, it's an actual relationship. Like we get mad at people. We are upset with people. We don't agree with everything they decide to do. And that's how our relationship with God has to be. It has to be authentic. It has to be real. I can't pretend like, Oh, I'm loving every decision you made in this season. If I'm really not, it's not necessarily going to change anything, but it, at least it allows me to process my emotions, you know? Yeah, exactly. So let's start with power principle. Number one, you are who God says you are. I think when you go through something difficult, you can sometimes allow that to change your identity. Right. So now we become the thing that happened to us or the Mm. failure, the thing that we didn't do. We are now the statistic, what someone said about us. And the problem with that is, one, there's always this ever changing view of what these different labels can attain. But two, you will never be more than the identity that you accept. Never. You will never do more. Your goals will never be higher than who you think you are. So if you believe that I'm, I'm just right, I'm just a black girl from the ghetto, then you will never accomplish more than you think black girls from the ghetto can accomplish ever. Cause it's just outside of your identity. Oof, that is so powerful. And so, and you, you had that already when you were still in school, still taking honors classes and saying, just because I had a baby, that doesn't mean I'm not going to graduate. Like, you know what? Because I was smart, right? Like that was a part of my identity. My identity, part of who I saw myself as was that I was a smart girl who learned quickly. Having a baby didn't change that. That was ingrained in my identity. That's a perfect example. And so what I went through, what people said about me, what people thought about me, that didn't change how I moved in the classroom because I was solid with this label of being a smart girl. So given, a, you know, having birth, I still have my brain people, right? It was just like, it was like duh, of course I'm going to graduate on time because I'm smart. Yeah. 
it's like when I lost everything and I was telling people like I lost all my money, but my mind isn't bad. Like I like I can still teach you about budgeting just because, you know, my budget is a little. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can still show you how to do it if you haven't been doing it. Like what does me losing everything have to do with that? But it is really hard because I also remember before I could get to that place where I was like, wait a minute you lost your money, but you still know a lot of these principles. You still know a lot of skill set. I was fighting the, but who's going to listen to you because you have. And so the initial part of that was that my identity was connected to uh, the balance in my bank account. And I was like, no, who are you to do that? Who are you to talk to people? Who are you to share? Until I got to that moment where I was like, no, what does that have to do with anything? Like, how do you separate the two? That's why you have to start with who God says you are, because those things don't change. Right. I'm I'm always a child of God, no matter what I've done, no matter what type of lifestyle I'm living. The word of God says I am a child of God that will never change. And then really starting to understand what does that even mean to be a child of God? Because we hear that all the time, especially in you know Christian circles. Or one, it means I don't know everything. So I should seek advice. I'm a child. Who should I ask for advice? God. What does it mean to be his child? What does it mean to have God as a father? Right. It's not just that I'm a child, but God is my father. So my father, the one who is responsible for taking care of me, his love knows no limit. His power has no limit. His resources limitless. His you know decision to do whatever it takes for me. It's unmatched. Right. So if I know that I move differently, when you have a real encounter with God and you know who you are, it changes how you walk into a room. It changes what you expect from people, because it's like I don't have to take X or Y or Z because I know exactly who I am. There was a time where Jesus was um, talking to Pilate and Pilate's asking him all these questions and he's not responding, which is upsetting to Pilate. And Pilate says, do you not know who I am? Do you know that I have the power to release you or have you crucified? And this is when Jesus responds. And he says, the only reason you have this power is because my father gave it to you. So like, don't talk to me like you have any power. You don't. My daddy decides what happens to me. When you get there, it really changes how you respond to the things that you go through. It's kind of like what I talk about with the exercise I always do um, that I shared in Mastery Momentum, the what ifs versus what is. Mm-hmm. Like People may say the what ifs because that's usually what we're concerned about in the first place. We have these stories like, what if they think of this about me? What if they say this about me? But what you're saying is, but God, God and, and the word tells you what is. And mm-hmm. so you get to lean into that. You don't have to stay focused on the what ifs because that's not even real. And it's not as significant as we like to pretend that it is. What's real is what God says. No matter how far you get off course, right? (laughs) No matter how far you've gone, no matter how long you've waited to decide to start, the minute that you realize the power that you possess and the position that you have in this world, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter where I am right now. I can get anywhere from here. Anywhere. I don't care where I am. I can get anywhere from here because I have all that is necessary for me to get to those places. Hmm. Now this opens up these possibilities. Now that I know who I am, now other things become possible. All things become possible now, right? So you go from there to power principle number two, forgiveness is freedom. (sighs) Yes. Because while we know who we are, we sometimes want to charge people with their sin. We want to treat people according to their mistakes, according to the hurts that they have inflicted on us. And we feel like they deserve it. But what we have to realize is that um, forgiveness is is for me. Not only is it required of us as Christians, but when I refuse to forgive somebody, It keeps me bound to the pain and the hurt. Now I'm always what you did to me, right? I'm always going to take that hurt. I'm always going to take that pain. If we're honest, we can say that what is upsetting us now or what is causing us this internal turmoil is not our present situation, but it is how we are responding to what happened to us in the past. Because for the most part, it's not still going on. Right. So if somebody, you know, your mom didn't take care of you the way you thought she should or like in my instance, 
my husband had an affair. And so he wasn't having an affair, right? We moved past that, but I hadn't forgiven him. And so the pain that I had wasn't in response to our present situation. He was uh, fully redeeming himself. He wanted to do the work. He wanted to be forgiven. He wanted to show that he could be, you know, trusted. So in that present time, it's like the thing that's holding me back isn't what's going on right now. It's my refusal to let go of what happened. Right. And it's not condoning the bad behavior. It's saying I'm going to release myself because I have the power to do so as a child of God to release myself from that pain and that hurt that was done to me by someone who was also broken. That's so good. You talk in the book about, you know, having to forgive your biological father. And I know that so many of us can kind of identify with that, whether it's funny. I used to assume that because many of my friends did have fathers in the home, that it was perfect. And then as we got older, I realized that a few of my friends, their fathers were in the home, but they were alcoholic, alcoholics, or they were very distant or um, they were chronic. Um, what's the word? Or they, they chronically cheated on their mom. Like there was so much turmoil, right? So I didn't grow up in the home with my dad and I had all kind of, as they say, dad issues around that. But I also meet so many people who had fathers or even some mothers in the home that may have been suffering with mental illness or, you know, going through all these different things. And so a lot of us have a challenge or, or two or three <laughs> with forgiving the folks that we believe were supposed to love us um, and did love us to the best that they could, that they may have had the capacity to. Um, but I meet people all the time who are like, well, I don't have this or I'm not here because my father, because my mother, how, how do you get to that place of forgiveness? Not, you know, when you're talking about the folks who you feel like were supposed to love you from jump. So this is the thing. This is a lack of like taking responsibility for where I am right now, because at some point I realized that my parents or whoever didn't give me what I deserve to have. They didn't give me what they should have. They didn't protect me like they should have. So now I'm at that point where I realize that now I have full control to make the decision about how I move past it and also the decision to move past it. And I don't say that like lightly, like, oh, it's going to be overnight. But what happens is we just sit in this stew of like resentment and bitterness and victimology, as opposed to saying, yes, you sucked as a parent, but I'm going to go ahead and get therapy so I can get past this. Because let me just tell you, I can't speak for other dads, but baby, when I tell you my daddy is living his life, honey, he did not stop. He did not get stuck because how he didn't parent me. It didn't keep him from getting married and having more children that did not happen. And so while he is moving on with his life, I'm still stuck here waiting for him to do what? We're past the age of where he, you're going to be parenting me, right? I'm a grown woman. So you're definitely not going to be parenting me at this age. So now what am I waiting on to get my healing? My healing is my responsibility. There's no one else's responsibility to make sure that we are healed. That is your responsibility alone, period. My healing is my responsibility. Ooh, okay. You just got somebody with that. Let's go to power. <laughs> you must put your faith to work. What is that about? Oh my gosh. Okay. So listen, <laughs> we, like, we love faith. We love faith. We love to say that faith is the substance of things all for. Like we love this. But faith gets us to salvation. And for the most part, that's where it stops. We kind of draw this line between faith as it relates to churchy type activities and faith as a belief, what we believe in, what we think about and what we will do. So we don't even encourage people to act on faith. We say that is foolish or people will say, yes, you have to act on faith, but you have to be within reason to. Well, sometimes faith has no reasoning, right? Sometimes the thing that God is calling me to do, that's why I have to know him for myself. The thing that he's calling me to do is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. And so it doesn't line up with conventional wisdom. That's not always the case, but it is sometimes the case. So we cannot pit faith against logic. So when I say I believe something, I have to 
My actions have to show that I believe. It's not enough for me to say it, right? So I should be able to see faith at work in your life like I can see the wind at work in the trees. I can't see the wind, but I can see the impact on the wind. The wind is moving something. Your faith should be moving something. If your faith is not moving you to do something, it is dead faith. And faith without works is dead. Dead faith is no faith at all. So having this belief that I'm holding on to, but it doesn't compel me to continue to pray for a marriage that I feel like is dead, to continue to pray for a man who was talking to me crazy right now, Right. But I've decided in my heart that I believe that God can fix this. Faith is not saying I believe that God can do all things except for fix my marriage. I believe that God can do all things except for grow my business. I believe that God can do all things except for get me out of this, you know, hole of the situation I'm in. Right. If you really believe that God is going to do something for you, in you, through you, then your steps should show that. Right. I always use this example. I always use Oprah. So if Oprah said, hey, Patrice, um, we need you to move out here to Chicago and we have a contract for you for your own talk show. We're going to write you this check. This is how much it is. Right. You kind of you get into this agreement with Oprah. You guys agree on it. It's like, great. It's wonderful. What do you then start to do? If you accept that contract, you say, yes, we're in it. You start packing your stuff getting ready to move to Chicago. Ma'am, well, first of all, Oprah's in LA now. So, oh, she's in LA. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay, I, <laughs> I know exactly where their own studios is. <laughs> I was camped out before they open, ready to go. You're going to be moving. You're going to take steps. You're going to tell people. They're going to say, Well, has the check cleared yet? Well, the check hasn't cleared yet. But we're talking about Oprah. So, we're not concerned about whether or not she has the resources to follow through. We have an agreement, we have a contract, but we are in a covenant with God. We have a covenant with him, which is stronger than a contract. We're saying that we are in this. So when God tells me to move, when I'm believing something by faith, why am I not willing to pack up my stuff and go where God sent me? I have more faith in the check from Oprah than I do from God who sent his son to die for me. We have to put our faith to work. It doesn't, this doesn't work if we don't work. Faith doesn't work if you don't work it. So it has to go beyond your belief. There are people who believe more in themselves and more in the systems of this world than we people of faith believe in God and God's ability to do something. So that's why people without faith are winning. Cause I hear people say that all the time. Well, they don't believe in God and they're winning. Yeah, but they believe in something. They believe in their system, right? They're moving. They're they're taking action. It's it's like I did an episode called "Give God Something to Bless," which bless my soul, girl. Like I can't tell you how many people are like, well, you know, this is what I like to do, but I'm waiting on God. I'm like, but God is waiting on you. You have to take the next best step. You have to give Him something to bless. You have to put something out there. We can't keep saying what we're waiting on and we're in hiding all day. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't work that way. And that is not an exercise of faith at all. Like what you have faith in is your fear. Mm-hmm. That's what you have faith in. Whatever story you've told yourself, as opposed to, as you stated in the beginning, knowing who God says you are. Your faith is in your fear of what you think you are versus what God says you are. You said in that episode, if y'all haven't heard it, y'all need to hear it. You said in that episode something that was so profound. God will know what you're waiting on when he sees what you're working on. When I tell you that messed me up, I was like, wait, what she said? (laughs) God will know what you are waiting on when he sees what you're working on. Mm -hmm. You are... Listen, baby, that was so good. That was so good to me. Y'all need to get this. You are believing God for a house, but you're not working on your credit. Come on. This this is not faith. This is magic you're talking about. Now we're not talking about faith, we're talking about magic. Magically clear up your, you know, your credit. You're wait, you're believing God for a husband, right? But you you're not really going to to places where someone that you would like to have as a husband hang out. You still hanging out? You know, the old folks say at the juke joint, but you know your husband, you can't find a Boaz at the juke joint. Like, you know, that's not where you're coming from. So why are you there every weekend? You know what I'm saying? Like, God will see, God will know what you're waiting on when he sees what's growing at the angle. That's my soul. That's faith. 
That that is the principle number three. That's it right there. God will know what you believe him for when he sees what you are doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why my prayer every day is God just bless my effort. Like I don't know it all, but I do the best I can with what I currently know. And, and you know, I'm intentional and radical about implementing what I do learn. Listen, everybody can't pray that prayer. Mm. Right. So everybody, don't y'all be out here praying that because Patrice is going to have y'all bankrupt. Don't do it. <laughs> don't be saying God bless my efforts because some people aren't working. You if you've got some of us are getting blessed beyond our efforts. We're getting blessed. God's just keeping us. He kept them in the wilderness. They had no effort at all. And he still kept them. So if you're going to ask God to bless your efforts, you better have some efforts worth blessing. Ooh. Okay, Uh, principle (laughs) number four, positive relationships are your life jacket. And the thing that stood out to me the most about this principle, Courage, was our relationships with words. I really didn't see it going there when I started reading, but that relationship with words, and in particular, you talked about how, you know, you've always been strong with words, but you used to use your words to kind of annihilate people. You wanted to leave them speechless. And I know so many people like that still to this day. And I also always knew the power of my words. And I know, like I even know now that if I say something very specific, I can push my husband's buttons. I can I can do damage to my daughter, which is why I'm so meticulous with my word choice. But I used to use that power for not not good. I used to use it back in the day for not good. I could say something, one line to someone when I was in college and walk away and leave them for like three minutes standing there, like what just happened? And not not even cursing. I didn't need a curse word. I didn't need to add anything to it. Just, you know, and when you talked about the relationship with words and how when we have the ability to do that to others, how that can turn on you. Mm-hmm. And you mess around and do that thing to yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? So if you think of the life jacket as something that may not be necessary, right? Because you feel like you kind of have some of the skills and abilities to get across this ocean to swim or whatever, right? You kind of have this. But what happens on this journey, right? And this this courageous living, these principles, we're not, I'm not really talking about like day-to-day living, right? I'm talking about people who are in pursuit of their purpose because your purpose is always way bigger than where you start off. That's just how God is. He wants you to be dependent on him. But you start out on this journey and it's fine. You have some of the skills necessary, maybe you have a talent for something. But on this journey to the promised land, there's going to come some time where you can't swim. You can't move. You just need a break, right? And if the only thing you have out there are all the doubts and fears that come from your heart and you start to say them out loud, it gets even difficult to just float. It becomes more and more difficult just to stay afloat. You are, you know, damaging your own resources now. You're damaging the people that are around you. Every time I speak negatively about my situation and myself, I'm saying those things about the people who have gathered around me to support me. I'm saying the same thing about people who have believed in me. If now I'm saying I'm too dumb or too whatever, to do this thing, that is also kind of like, that's a nod towards you, Patrice, because if I'm not worthy, if I'm no good, if I'm a fraud, then what does that now say about you and your ability to choose someone to co-coach? And we don't realize that people will separate themselves from you because now you're saying, oh, like you're just repeating these lies that are coming out. You're damaging yourself and you're damaging your support system. You know, you're isolating yourself. We have to remember that we are co-creators with Christ. So the words that I speak are the words that I create. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus said that everything he did, I would do in greater, which tells me there is so much power in me. Joshua said, son, stand still. And the son stood still. So the same is true about negative and positive words. They create an environment. I have to start asking myself, what type of environment am I creating with my words for myself, for other people, you know, 
I can't just use my words like they don't matter or like they don't have power. This idea that sticks and stones may break my but words will never hurt me. That is just lies. stop saying that. Okay. Complete <laughs> lies. Complete lies. Um, and I taught my daughter that really early. Like the first time I heard someone even utter that in her presence, she was maybe three or four. And I was like, absolutely not. Words are powerful and you need to watch your words. You need to watch how you respond to people. Even when you think they deserve it, you still, you know, because I know depending on where you come from, your first thought is not always the holiest when (laughs) someone does something. (laughs) And so you do have to train yourself to be a bit more impeccable with your word choice. But one of the things that I really hold dearly is just this idea that what we verbalize, we magnify in our own lives and we magnetize more of it towards us. And so that's why I'm so careful. Like, even if I catch myself saying something, I'm like, uh, let me. Um, rephrase that. Let me restate that. Strike that. (laughs) It's like sometimes when I'm recording, I say strike that and the editor knows to just delete that. I kind of feel the same way about if I say something just out in the open, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, strike that. That's not what I meant. What I tried to say was, you know, and just clean it up and be more careful because some of us just allow things to just slide out and you can never go back and get it. Like, you can not go back and get it. No, once it's out there, it's like you rang that bell. That's it. And a lot of us haven't been taught to speak life. So it's like, you know, you have to learn this. It's like learning a foreign language, right? You have to acquire the vocabulary. You have to get into a community where they speak it fluently so that you can hear what it sounds like. Because sometimes death doesn't sound like death, right? We talk about the power of life and death. Mm -hmm. Sometimes death just sounds like good advice. Don't start your own business. You have a good job with great benefits and the salary you worked hard to get where you are. That doesn't sound like death, but when God has called you to do something else, it is death, right? But I can't recognize that because I'm not in a community where people are speaking life as their first language, right? Or this is the language they choose to speak and it's the language they're most comfortable with is speaking life. I have to start speaking um, in a different way. I decided this year that I'm going to be a millionaire. I've decided, like, I've made the decision to become a millionaire, and I believe it's a choice, so I've cho- I've chosen it. Uh, what I also realized is that I don't sound like one. So when I talk about money, I don't necessarily sound like a millionaire. So I'm reading all of these books written by millionaires. They speak differently, even about the same thing. So they don't say, you know, I'm broke. I don't have the money. They say things like, well, that's not really in the budget, or that money is earmarked <laughs> for something else. At the end of the day, it's only have been allocated. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It still means the transaction is not happening. Mm -hmm. Either way, we're not buying whatever you're trying to sell us because, you know, we're just we're not doing it. But we just, you know, if you don't have that language, then you continue to speak death over your situation. Mm -hmm. Make speaking life your first language. Oh, That is really good. And being a community where speaking life is the first language. I love that. Okay, so the last power principle is growth is not optional. It's required. And I love that you talked about the fact that you immersed yourself in self-improvement. And you even gave an example. And I, I just resonated with this so much. You were talking about the fact that someone had given you a book. I think about marriage. And the first time you read the book or tried to read the book, you're like, what? What are they talking about? That's not possible for me. And then you read it again and you realized it wasn't the book that had changed. It was you that has shifted. I love that because I resonate with that so much. You're not always ready. That's the truth. But uh-huh. if you keep growing, you can get there. But it's okay. I think it's okay to also, you know, I think because I read so many books, Courage, and I talk about it, people are scared to tell me that they didn't get it. We're like, or like they're not, they're not really feeling it. And that's why I always tell folks to check in with books more than once, because as you continue to grow, you will go back and read something and it'll, it'll sound completely different. It will have a completely different meaning, like what you've been exposed to in the months or the years that have gone by, it will just affect you in a completely different way. And that's because hopefully you're growing because growing is not optional. It's required. And it has to be intentional. Growth does not happen accidentally. Right. And so when I say growth, I don't mean um, 
like becoming more skilled in something. No, I mean, growing as a person and you're like, you're increasing your potential. You're increasing your capacity to learn. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you learning more about things or having more facts and strategies um, in your brain. We're talking about increasing your capacity to learn. Because if I'm in one mindset and I read a book about marriage, like you mentioned, I just, I didn't have the capacity my potential was limited. My ability to grow to the place I needed to be or to act out those skills and strategies that were written in that book, they were beyond, they were beyond my capacity to do so. So I had to continually grow as a person. My personal growth has got to be intentional and it has to be right now. Living things grow and growing things change. And so if you're not changing, you are not growing. That's just, that's it. You can say whatever you want to say, but if you are the same person you were last year, you haven't grown. You're not changing. If you're not changing, you're not growing. If you're not going to be better tomorrow than you are today, then what, like, what are you doing? What's the purpose? And that's exactly what I love about what we do in the mastermind is because I know that when people look back over their life a year later, that the growth will be so crazy (laughs) that you go like, oh my gosh, I grew more in a year than I have in the last five years because it's intentional, because there's accountability, because there is life being spoken as the primary language in that community, right? Like there's so much, um, that's what redefining wealth is. And you know, in the mastermind, for those of you that don't know, we set goals based on the pillars. So when you look back over 12 months and you've had radical accountability in a structured way to get there and you go, oh, my gosh, like this version of myself, when you look back a year from now and recognize that your life is barely recognizable, not because you moved, not because you got a new husband, not because, you know, you got new kids, same kids, same, same spouse, possibly your partner, um, same environment, same job, but you've changed but you've grown, but you now have the capacity to hold more like, oh my gosh, that's, that's it. That's the ticket right there. Because some folks feel like it was in the Elijah Frazier episode, which was fire. And he talked about, you know, okay, you can move. Well, yeah, you know, (laughs) like you can move. Absolutely. You could get a new job. You could get a new house. You could get a new apartment. And some of you who are listening right now, you know, it's true. You know, 2019, you're like, I'm moving. I just got to get out of this city. Nobody in my city. I love when I talk to people before, you know, who are trying to get in the program courage and they're like, "Um, nobody in my city understands me. So you've met all 1,356,000 people in your city and you're convinced that no one understands you, right? Or so I have to get out of this city. I have to move out of this entire state because everyone in the state is just backwards. Like I'm the only bright person here. It's like, no, (laughs) you you probably need to do a little bit more work on you, Precious. That's that's all it is, you know, Um, because moving is not going to change you. It's just not. You can take the same you to a new place. And we have possibly have very similar results. So you have to be open to growth. You have to be open to growth because your best thinking got you to where you are. Every all of every situation you've been in, every choice that you made, you made that. That's like the best that you could do. You used all that you had. No tea, no shade. This is my best decision making got me here. And so, if you're looking at where you are and it's not where you want to be, it means that I have to borrow someone else's thinking. I have to get a new way of processing things than I had before because what I'm what I'm used to isn't working anymore. Right. This has been good. This has really been good. Um, I love the power principles and I love just, again, being able to see what your growth has turned into. You know, it's it's really interesting when people rely, or say stuff like, oh, my gosh, I love your story. But you're like, um, <laughs> I hear that all the time with my husband because we've been together 23 years. So like, oh, my gosh, that's so cute. I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, yeah, you don't. I don't know if you understand, understand like everything it took to get here. But I'm also very clear that everything that I went through is what has brought me to redefining wealth and the way that I'm able to pour into others and everything that you've been through has brought you to the point of 
understanding courageous living and these power principles and how, you know, when folks apply it, um, how it can change their lives. And so while reading the book, I was like, ooh, ooh, you know, you had a really great way of illustrating some really tough things with humor still or like with that sass that you have. So it was it was light, but it was heavy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it was amazing. And I just I just feel so again, I feel honored to have you in in the community as a whole, because I know that what you share comes from such a real place. And like, if he did it for me, if he did it for you, he could do it for the ladies that we serve. So I'm, I am honored to do this work with you. Um, before I let you go, I have to ask you a few redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So you know how this goes, but I know people who actually listen to the show, once they get on the show, they're like, why didn't I prepare for this? You know how it goes. I'm gonna ask you these questions and give us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. First one is how do you define success? Success is the pursuit of your purpose, pursuing your purpose. I think that that is what makes you successful. How do you define wealth in three words or less? You have it now, right? I know that doesn't seem like the def- like a definition of wealth, but that's what it is. It's what you have right now. Wealth is what you have right now. Mm. All right. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Um, That's old. And um, it really talked about the importance of us pursuing our own self-interest, that that's the best thing that we could do for the marketplace. That's the best thing that we could do for our nation is to pursue our own selfish interests, because that is what's going to move people to do the thing that they've been you know, call to do, that's what's going to raise the, the income level of the nation. And that was, um, that was groundbreaking when he talked about it. It was like, it was crazy. So it definitely had a huge impact on how I see wealth. Love it. And you're going to fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. Okay. My name is courage. And for me, The truth about wealth is not only is it our birthright, but it's our obligation. I love that. I haven't heard that one yet. Very good. All right, Courage. Thank you so much for being here. Again, my honor to co-labor with you in the work that is Mastery and Momentum. Thank you for being a part of this community with me. And I look forward to keep going. Yes, this is just the beginning. Okay, didn't I tell you that courage would be amazing? Again, she has added so much to our community. And I know that if you go follow her in social media at Courage Molina and just connect with her in different ways, she is going to be a blessing to you too. She did such a powerful message for us at the spring retreat for this group that I currently have, this first cycle of the mastermind. And oh, it's just one of those things. It's just so hard to put into words. It's something that you truly have to experience. But when she talked about labels, not allowing yourself to take on those labels. I don't know what labels you may have allowed yourself to take on most recently, but I hope that you can use the principles that Courage talks about in social media, in her book, and especially if you come and join us in the mastermind to just shift who it is you feel like you have to be, especially for those of you who have been the strong one and you've always had to be the person to figure it out. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to take that label off And let yourself heal, you know, in different ways and let yourself forgive yourself and others around you and give yourself permission to just grow and to becoming an even better version of yourself. I know that you're amazing, but I also believe that God has so much more for you. And I'm so honored, again, to be in community with Courage because she is definitely, I think, the catalyst for bringing that out of us in the group. I can say that you know, in an intimate setting, she definitely has brought out so much in all of us. And so 
make sure you find courage in social media, hit her up, show her some love um, and just let her know she's appreciated. And if you are interested again in mastery and momentum, I really encourage you to check it out. You can join a group interest call where I'll give you more details. It's at masteryandmomentum.com. And again, it's for any woman who is craving community, who's craving sisterhood, who doesn't just want to be around like-minded women, but she wants to be around women who have the the capacity to truly relate to her success while understanding her struggles. And that does not happen easily. For many of us, that has not happened naturally. Our friends love us. Maybe you're in a sorority and your line sisters love you. You know, you have great family, but that doesn't mean they can always relate and hear you. They can listen, but do they hear you? Do they feel you? And can they support you to your next level? Not always. So come on over, check out Mastery Momentum. I hope to see you there. There's only 14 spaces and uh, I can't wait to meet you if you're one of the next 14 so until next time guys my wish for you is always the same that you live your life's purpose find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money talk to you later without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.